0: So, we get to study God's word this morning, and I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. And when God's word is read, when God's word is proclaimed, when God's word is believed, when it is received, you know what God is doing? God is bringing life in his name. And God wants to do something great in our midst today. And he wants to do something great in our time in the Gospel of John, which will likely be through the end of this year, all the way into the next one. So hold on, buckle up, get ready. We'll take some breaks along the way, but this is a good book, it's a long book, but it's a worthwhile book. And I'm convinced that this is the right book for us to study, to see God's face as we start a new decade in this church for what he wants to, what he wants us to do and what, who He wants us to be as a church. because we're going to be looking at the, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. and when you look at his face, when you see who he is, when you believe in His name, you're changed. Life happens. Life is brought in His name. So are you ready to do this? Are you ready to start this? I am I am too. And I think we're all ready in some ways. and I think in other ways, we are not ready at all. We're like new parents. You don't you're not ready until you have that baby in the basket. But God's going to guide us, He's going to lead us. He's going to do the work, and he's going to get the glory. So would you open up your Bibles to the book of John chapter twenty? We're not going to start at the beginning of the book, but we're going to start near the end because this book was written by the apostle John. And John wonderfully makes it very clear as to why he wrote this book. It wasn't just, let let me, let me collect my uh, random thoughts about my life, my time with Jesus. No, this is about John writing for a very specific purpose. And during these seasons of my life, and in coming here as your pastor and beginning to love and to serve you guys, um, This book, and especially these verses, have been just ringing in my ears and resonating in my soul, and I don't totally know why, but I do know one thing, is that these verses make no mistake as to what John is after, and it's a glorious thing, and I want that for myself, and I want that for you. So if you've gotten there this morning, please stand as we read the end of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John, Verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can have a seat. All of this book, if we're going to grasp the stories, the teaching, the conversations, the prayers of this book, we now need to know why, why it's here. And these are all written so that people, average people, or maybe you think you're above average or below average people, you and me, John writes us that we would believe and continue believing that Jesus really is the one worth believing. And in believing that we would have life, real life in his name. You know, and there, those are some reasons why this book is timely for us as a church in the new decade. I mean, we could do a lot of things. We could be a lot of things, and there are plenty of opinions out there as to who we could be or what we could do. But if we just do to do, or if we just be to be, without a great why underneath everything, we're not going to go very far, either individually or as a church. And we're not going to get there very faithfully, and we're not going to get there very healthfully. That's a word. You see, John writes this book saying that these are written so that you may believe. So in one sense, yes, this book is about us. God, through John, and even John himself, cares about our believing. But as we read, my desire for us, and actually I would say even more so, that God's desire for us is that we see that The story, the one this whole book we call the Bible is telling, is a story where we're readers and participants. But we're not the character and the narrator. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His desire is that we worship him as the hero of the story and enjoy and, live, and part, live as part of his story. So let's see where we're going in this series. This first message is kind of an introduction, if you will. So for the first part of John's purpose. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. Reading is believing. John wants us to believe. He wants us to have read this book, this gospel account of his, and to come away with belief. I mean, it's so prevalent. I mean, John uses the term believe in this gospel 98 times, which fits in right in with his purpose for writing. These are written that you may believe. Aha. And he never uses it, interestingly, as a noun, he never says belief as if it's a thing. He always uses it as a verb, as an action. Believe, the command is given. They believed, they struggled with belief. So if he's using this term, believe, what does he mean? If we're gonna see that over and over and over again, we need to know what this means. And many in the church today would say, yes, yes, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And even though the number outside the church is dwindling, even some of those who aren't part of the church or a part of a local church anywhere will say that Jesus is the Son of God or they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But what they mean and what you may mean when you say it, even though you might never describe it this technically, is that, yes, I intellectually accept that Jesus was an historian a real historical person who claimed to be the savior of the world, and historically it is likely that he rose from the dead. He had some good things to say, which I think are okay. And I think this way because I was raised in a Christian home, or I've just always gone to church, or I prayed a prayer once. But what is a bit scary about the type of belief that I just described, that many people think is real belief, is not really belief at all. It's just informational or cultural acceptance. But it's not embrace. You see, believing, real believing, as John will hammer home again and again and again in this book, is trust. It's embrace. It's treasuring and holding dear a person, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And this book takes an amazing journey Looking at believing. You see, it says in verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. The Gospel of John is going to show us signs that Jesus did, and signs are meant to help us believe and continue believing. These will be things like turning water into wine, overturning merchant tables in the temple, healing on the Sabbath, we're going to get there. That's awesome. Feeding thousands of people from a boy's lunchbox. Raising the dead to raising, a, raising the dead, raising a dead man, even himself. And all these signs, which could be described as wonders or miracles, are meant to authenticate Jesus and legitimize believing in him as the Christ, as the son of God that he says he is. And hopefully, this will encourage you too. Is that this book is not just about how everybody believed and everybody received him and they had eternal life in his name. This is about this is a book about real people who have a sometimes have a real struggle with believing. You know, John six verse sixty says that many of Jesus's disciples heard some tough teaching from Jesus's mouth and said, "This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it?" And it says after that that many struggled so much with belief that they didn't follow him anymore. Some of the greatest points of tension in the book are actually with those who don't want to believe. The religious leaders in Jesus' day took real issue with Jesus being who he was. It upset their apple cart. And there are times where those who do believe are put through the testing of their belief, of their faith, You know, we have the Apostle Peter, and we're going to look at his life. One, a guy who clearly believed the Lord. He said, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And then when Jesus seems to need him most, what does Peter say? I'm not one of his disciples. I wasn't with him. And then at the end of the book, Jesus restoring him. Lord, you know that I love you. You know, by God's grace, we are going to come away with a rich and good understanding of believing, not something cheap from this book. The Gospel of John calls us to count the cost of believing, yes. See what Jesus is, see who he is, meet him face to face, and believe. Reading is believing. We read so much these days, and most of it seems to be hype, Bias, opinion offered is fact. Silo, silo, silo. This tribe says this thing, this tribe says that thing. What's different here? Well, do you remember that intellectual ascent I mentioned a little bit of it a little bit ago? You know, it's not all bad. The Bible has arguably been the most tested, the most tried, the most critiqued, and the most vetted books in all of human history and it has stood the test. Why? Well, to put it negatively, if, if what had been said in here was fake, it should have lasted only as long as the average piece of spin does these days. But it's not. The Bible is not just written about page, was not written as to be just pages in a book. John doesn't want us to just come away with believing God-breathed words on a page, though that is crucial for us. He rather wants us to stay with the person of all that belief. He wants us to stay with the person all those God-breathed words are ultimately for and about. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. because we have an object of our faith. The object of our faith is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 31, But these, these signs, these specific signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The object of faith is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. We are to believe Jesus. We are to know Jesus. We are to embrace Jesus. We are to trust Jesus. but which Jesus are we talking about? There's a lot of definitions of Jesus out there, isn't there? Ranging from a nice teaching first century rabbi to a total myth, even though there's more historical evidence for his existence. Some even say he's a created being who became God, or he's just one God among many, or he's a lesser God. So in our study of John, we're going to be using the dreaded T word. You know what that is? It's the word that seems to make folks get like sweaty palms, like keeps them away from talking to their pastor or having discussions about God, who he is, what he does. It's a word that people often say, yeah, that's nice for you, but don't make me think about that stuff. And it's... It's seen by many well-meaning Christians as what the folks in the ivory towers talk about but doesn't have any real meaning in life. You know, many well-meaning Christians mistakenly think that we should just sing, give me Jesus, as if this T word is part of the lyric that says, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. Okay, you know what the word is? You know what the big T word is? You ready? Theology. You didn't gasp loud enough. Theology. <laughs> you know, it, with, as we go through this Gospel of John, we're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of theology. And I don't want anybody, anybody in this room to be scared or anybody to who hears these messages, to be scared about that word. But rather that we embrace that word and we enjoy what it means and we we see that it does matter in real life. So what is theology, actually? Is it it what is to be read in that dusty old library where that old hunched over professor is writing a long paper about dry, dusty, boring words, supposedly about God, but has nothing to do with reality? No! Theology. I actually found one of those dusty old guys, Wayne Grudem's definition to be simply very helpful. He said, I do not believe that God intended the study of theology to be dry and boring. Theology is the study of God and all his works. Theology is meant to be lived and prayed and sung. All of the great doctrinal writings of the Bible, such as Paul's epistle to the Romans, are full of praise to God and personal application to life. Do you know what that means? That means every single one of you in this room, excuse me, you and I are theologians in some form or another. You see, because all of us believe something about God, something about who he is, who he isn't, how he deals with people, how he doesn't deal with people. We all have some ideas about what, that's it, what that is. But good news, we're not called to believe in a God who's mostly air. We're called to believe in a God who is more substance than we are. He is meant to be known. And he means to be known. That's why when John says that he wrote this book, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, He wants us to understand what he means by the word Christ, what he means by the term, the Son of God, so that we would know who we're believing in. So the question is not, is theology for you? The question is, is your theology, which you already have, lining up with reality of who God really is? So really quickly, hopefully we'll understand this better as we go along in this series, Let's do some theology together. What is, what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? John says that we're that you may believe that Jesus not you may not that Jesus not that Jesus is the, is it that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean? Well, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Moshiach, which we would also say is Messiah. All those terms, all that stuff there. Is meant to tell us that this Christ, this Messiah, is the one who was anointed by God, who would come to rescue the nation of Israel from his oppressor, from her oppressors, who would save God's people from their sins, who would rule and reign, like Isaiah said, He would, which we studied in Advent last year, in justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Christ would also suffer and die as a sacrificial lamb for the people and would atone, that is, cover or take away their sins. So when John says, believe that Jesus is the Christ, he means, this is him, everyone. This is the Messiah. We've been waiting thousands of years for him. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is why he had to die on on the cross. He took away our sins. And this Messiah was not just for the Jews, not just for Israel as a nation then, but for all people. And that's why John says next that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. A Jewish Christ probably wouldn't get very far in saving people from every tongue, tribe, and nation if he's just a sinful mortal man like we are without Christ. So if you thought Christ was a huge concept, let's go, with, let's go to the Son of God. We're gonna ho- study and hopefully understand and believe and be changed by God's grace. In understanding and believing the relationship that Jesus, the Son of God, has to God the Father that he has with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Gospel of John is one of the biggest texts that the church has relied upon for understanding the right, and it's in here, the doctrine of the Trinity. When John says that Jesus is the Son of God, he means, this is just a little bit, and Jesus understood and used it this way, that Jesus is equal with God on the same level as God Representing the exact interests and will of his Father. Jesus says, I do whatever the Father is doing. And as John 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, He, that's Jesus, has made Him, God the Father, known. So what, what does Jesus do as the Son of God? Jesus reveals God the Father to the world, that same God the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You combine these two truths together, that Jesus is the Christ and the eternal Son of God, and you have really good news. And it's news that is to be believed, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, some of that was heavy. But we just did some theology right there. And you're all still alive and you're all still breathing. And hopefully we learned something. <laughs> we asked John what he meant when we, and we studied who God was. That's what we're going to do in this series. And I tell you this because if we don't know what John means, what the Bible means, When it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus says, No one can snatch them out of my hand. When he says, I and the Father are one. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, You must be born again. When Jesus says to his his disciples, Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. When he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When he says to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. If we don't know what is meant, but assume it. We don't we won't believe it and we won't and we will be led astray. If we don't know who Jesus is, we will fall for forgeries. And the history of the church is riddled with bad theology being used to abuse Christians, to lead them astray, to leave them discouraged, to leave them hopeless, and even leaving them to stay stuck or go back to their sins the very sins that Christ died to save them from. I don't want this for any of you, I don't want it for myself. So in doing theology, what we wanna do is get the main character of this story right. We live in a world where we're told over and over again that our story matters. And in reading the Gospel of John and his interactions with individuals, I think there is some truth to that, that our story matters. But you know what has happened? People over and over again take that to mean that their story, my story, your story, is the story that matters. And when you get a whole culture of people together where everyone thinks that it's their story that matters most and start butting heads about it, people get angry, people get afraid. They start getting burnt out. They start getting disillusioned. Why? (laughs) Because it's bad theology. It puts you at the center of your universe instead of God. Because my story, your story, anyone else's story in the world, as important as they are, it's not enough. Even all of them put together, it's not enough to bear the weight that we need a story to bear if we have faith in anyone or any story that's not Jesus, it can't hold what we need it to hold. There's only one story that came into the world that can not only bear the weight of everyone's story, but ties everyone's story together and helps us make sense of them. And it's his story that comes into the world that takes us to a better ending than if the story is just about us. When we trust the object, when we have faith in the object of that story, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, look what happens here in verse 31. That by believing, you may have life in his name. Real life comes from Jesus. See, the Apostle John loves life. He loves living. And he loves Jesus, who says in this gospel, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Anyone want that? You want abundant life? Life abundantly? John makes it so straightforward that by believing You may have life in his name. You know, one of the great things about this gospel is that we're going to be studying the way Jesus interacts with people. John records some of the most amazing conversations with individuals. You know, just to note, the story isn't ultimately about us, but you know what kind of God we serve? Is Jesus takes time to be with us. He takes time to listen to us. He takes time to teach us. He takes time to draw us to himself. For instance, we have this late night conversation with Nicodemus, where he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about new eternal life in the kingdom of God, in a right relationship with God a new identity as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. What is all that? Life in his name. John also gives us Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman, and we'll get there, but to call this woman loose would be a nice way to put it. She's also part of a group that were considered half-breeds, Jews that intermarried with pagan nations and who tried to stop Israel from coming back from exile. So all that to say, it's a scandal that Jesus even is there and talking with her. But what does he say to her? Everyone, including her. Everyone who drinks of this water, that is, the living water of life that Jesus brings. Well, actually, sorry, let me back up. Everyone who drinks this water, he's at a well. Everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Life that satisfies our deepest thirsts forever, even for those who everyone else would stay away from. Life in his name. And even when he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, giving life to a dead man, he tells Martha, Lazarus's sister, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he ends that with this question, a question for her and a question for us. Do you believe this? Believing in Jesus leads to life in his name. This is good. John wants us to have life, real life. But I have to confess for myself and maybe for you as well, is that all of us from time to time can lose sight of what real life is. I mean, we can get so caught up with the little inconveniences of life here and now, that we might miss, that we have a way bigger need than the fact that we're out of ice cream in the freezer. I'm not sure what it might be for you in this given moment, but if we're not remembering our need for eternal life in Jesus' name, being about the work and love of God's kingdom, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, we are not going to be seeing the abundant life that God is giving us. And we're not going to be living it as though it were abundant. And we're going to forget our hope that we are just being given the appetizer of abundant life during this part of eternal life. See, what John records in his gospel is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, him being the crucified and risen Christ, the love of the eternal Son of God incarnated with us, glorifying the God the Father, and transforming the lives of of us lowly sinners is both in the beginning, as he says in John chapter 1, verse 1, and it continues all the way beyond chapter 21, verse 22, where Jesus calls Peter toward a greater focus. He says, if it is my will that John remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. In other words, you, Peter, do not concern yourself with about, about who's getting to the second chapter of eternal life first. You continue believing in me, and you continue finding life in my name. Real life comes from Jesus, and he means for Peter, and he means for all of us to have it to the full in embracing him, in trusting him, in believing him. These are the main goals that God, through John, wants us to get in studying this book, in hearing his word preached. He wants us to read. He wants us to hear. He wants us to see. He wants us to believe. He wants that belief, that faith, to be in the only object worthy, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And he wants us to have life real life in his name. So are you ready for this book? In our lives, and for us as a church, again, we could be a lot of things. We could do a lot of things. But as we seek God's face, humbling ourselves, considering what he wants for us as individuals and as a local church here in York, Nebraska, let us land everything on Jesus and his story, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we and many others by his grace may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want life in your name. And for those of us who have already believed, help us to continue believing Help us to continue walking in the new life that you have given us and that you will not take away. Lord, we do pray that you would transform us, that we would walk with you in believing. And we'd know, know your presence even when it's difficult sometimes to believe. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't hide that fact, that it's sometimes difficult to believe. Thank you that you didn't hide that in your word, but you, you declared reality as it is, that sometimes it is difficult to believe, but that you are worth believing, that you are believable and that you give life, actual life. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we pray we want to remember the life that you have given that we might live. And the death you died that we might die to ourselves and live to you. Thank you for your faithfulness. <laughs> we pray that a lot, but it's true. And we want to pray it again and again. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for loving and caring for us and wanting to be known such that you came to be with us, to bear our burdens, to bring us back together with God, who we had separated from, and to bring us life in your name. We thank you, and we ask for your favor as we go through this book together, that we would honor you, that we would believe you, We would help others believe and that we would all have life in your name. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus.